Good morning, greetings in Jesus' name. It's a wonderful, beautiful day to be gathered together to encourage one another and to look into God's Word. This morning I've chosen to continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount and invite you this morning to turn to chapter 6 of Matthew. In this chapter we see somewhat of a shift in Jesus' teaching. In chapter 5, not everything, but a lot of what he was teaching in chapter 5 dealt with our relationships with others, how living for Christ will affect our everyday life as we rub shoulders with other people in the world around us. Now in chapter 6, we see Christ putting more emphasis on our our relationship with God. So we could maybe say that chapter 5 of Matthew deals a, a good bit with our horizontal relationship with other people, while in chapter 6, we have more of an emphasis on our vertical relationship with God. This morning I would like to read Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Included in these verses is the Lord's Prayer. We'll be reading them, but we will skip across them for the time being this morning. Uh, There's no way to cover all of this, and it was kind of difficult to know how to break it, so we're going to jump back and forth just a little bit. So Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward. When thou doest alms, let not thine left hand know what the right hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thou will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. 
forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they, they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. In this passage, we see Jesus addressing three things, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. These three religious practices were considered by the Jewish people of Jesus' day as the most important religious practices a person could observe. They consider them to be the foundation of a person's religious life. In other words, how well you did these things determined how spiritual, how religious of a person you were. And these three things, giving, praying, and fasting, were good things. And they were beneficial from a religious standpoint. But Jesus points out here that even in the practice of good things, there can be a trap that we can become ensnared in. The trap of doing good things for the wrong motives. So just because we're doing something good doesn't automatically mean that we're doing it for the right reason or that we're gaining the true blessing or the full blessing that is available from that activity, that, that uh, religious expression. So in looking at these, I'd like to look at some different aspects of, of all of these. And like I said, they were common religious practices in Jesus' day. They were expected of the devout Jew. And we see here that Jesus in no way condemns the practice of giving or praying or fasting. But rather, his condemnation is for wrong motives in these practices. Jesus also, by the way he stated these things, his, his teaching, Jesus would imply here that these are religious practices that he would expect his followers to practice in their lives. He says, do not your alms, indicating that he would expect his people to be giving people. He says, when you pray and when you fast, 
indicating an expectation that his followers would practice these things. So giving of alms is simply giving to the poor. Uh, The Old Testament law commanded the Jewish people to give freely to the poor. One instance of that is Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. It says there in Deuteronomy 15, 11, that for the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in the land. God's intent for his people was that the bounty of those that were blessed, well off from a material standpoint, that they would, out of the goodness of their hearts, out of a love and concern for their fellow brother, would give and supply for the needs of those who were lacking. So a person who gave alms was following God's plan, God's intent for his people. They were lifting up their brother in need. And in a sense, they were lowering themselves. They were saying, God has blessed me with this, but I will give it up. To bless my brother. It was in God's kingdom, it was a means of equalization. It was a means of brotherhood. It was also a a recognition that the material blessings that a person had came from the Lord and that they were not necessarily mine to possess. God had given them to me, but it was my responsibility to use them for him, to bless his people. It's a way of recognizing that what we have is not really ours, but we're stewards, we're caretakers. It's our responsibility to, at times, pass it on, just as God has given it to us. So that was a little bit of the background of of giving of alms. The reason behind it. Jesus also then next addressed prayer. Prayer is an act of bringing our request to God. It's communicating with God. The Jews, or devout Jews, had many prescribed prayers. There were prayers that were memorized and repeated. And they had various times to pray. A devout Jew prayed a minimum of three times a day. 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. were times of prayer. And so we see that they had 
prescribed or memorized prayers. They had certain times of prayer. And so maybe it became a ritual to them that didn't have very deep roots. But prayer in its proper use is an acknowledgement of our dependency on God. It's an acknowledgement of our need for his help in our lives. It's also an opportunity to seek the, the blessing and welfare of other people as we practice intercessory prayer. Prayer helps in a person's spiritual life to keep a proper perspective. It helps us to remember that we're needy creatures in and of ourselves. We're needy creatures depending on an almighty God for everything that we need. And really, prayer should be a very humbling experience for the believer as they come to God recognizing that what we're praying about, the, the, the things, the situations, the needs, are things that in many ways we're powerless on our own to change. And so we bring it to God. It's about our weakness and God's strength. It's about our inability and God's ability. So that's what prayer was, is supposed to be. And the third practice that Jesus addressed is fasting. In Jesus' day, again, a very common practice. The devout Jews fasted twice a week. In the story of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18, verses 11 and 12, it says this, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus about him, thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. See, he was talking about himself and what he did. And he said, I fast twice in a week. That's what was expected of them if they were to be uh, a good religious Jew. And it's interesting that that Pharisee, as, as he stood and prayed these things, His, his, this, that, that story contains all three things that Jesus was addressing here in Matthew 6. It contains prayer, because he was standing and praying, praying publicly to be heard of men. It contains fasting. He talks about how he fasted twice a week, and it also involves giving of alms. He says, I give tithes of all that I possess. So fasting is abstaining from food. There's instances where uh, it was was Daniel who for a period of time said that no choice food crossed his lips. So it could be an abstaining from certain foods, a denying of certain pleasures. 
In our day, some people have taken a fast, have used a fast from their cell phone or from social media, something to withdraw themselves from something that is uh, demanding their attention. Fasting is a purposeful denial of pleasures or even necessities of life as a way of denying self, putting to death our fleshly desires in an effort to seek God, to be drawn nearer to him. In my daily Bible reading this morning, I read the book of Jonah. And when Jonah went to Nineveh and preached, the people believed the message that he spoke And the king commanded a nationwide fast. And it was all of the people, and it was even their livestock, were not to eat or drink. Didn't say for how long. But he said that, you know, perhaps God will will see and will relent from the calamity that he is about to bring. So that was an instance of uh, a group of people denying themselves the necessities of life in an effort to seek God. It's a way of reminding ourselves that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Our flesh, our fleshly desires, want to rule our life. They want to dictate what we do. They want to dictate when we eat, and etc. So fasting is a way of denying the flesh, putting it down to open ourselves up spiritually to God. And in the New Testament record of the early church, we have recorded numerous instances of fasting as a means of drawing nearer to God, as well as the church seeking God's direction, such as in choosing leadership. So we have these three spiritual practices. All three of them are beneficial. And the purpose of every one is to aid us in drawing closer to God. It's to aid us in denying ourselves. It's to aid us in having a proper perspective of ourselves and a proper perspective of God. They're for our spiritual good and assistance. But we see here in Matthew 6, that even the practice of good things can present the opportunity to do them for the wrong motives. Done correctly, these these three things of prayer and fasting and giving will, will assist us in our walk with God, will draw us closer to him. Done for the wrong motives, they can do the opposite. They can feed the flesh and put our focus on self instead of on God. Jesus was addressing 
the issue of those who are performing these spiritual acts for selfish reasons. And like I said, it's illustrated plainly by the account of the Pharisee and the publican where the Pharisee stood and prayed about all the good things he did so that everybody could hear. But the publican smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The one was lifting himself up, and the other was experiencing a true recognition of where he stood before a holy God. The temptation for us today in our society to do something such as giving, praying, fasting, etc., to be seen of men may in some ways seem far removed from, from our setting. You know, we look, at, we look at this setting with the, of the Jews in Jesus' time and the, how things were done, and it seems so different than our experience today. But the truth is, the temptation is still with us to do things to impress people rather than to impress God, or rather than to, to please God. I shouldn't use the word impress God. That's not why we do these things. So whether it's giving, praying, fasting, or some other aspect of our Christian life, Is our focus on doing it for God's approval, are we doing it to gain man's approval or the respect of men? I'd like to consider that a little. In the giving category, why do we give? I did a lot of reading in some different commentaries regarding these verses and one little commentary I have has had a good bit of commentary and some stories. And he told a, the account of a lady who she had written a book, and it's in her book apparently. But she was raised in a, an affluent setting in the late 1800s in England. And as she wrote her autobiography, years later, looking back on her upbringing, her testimony was that they gave to the poor, but she said that in reflecting back that the poor were in some ways their pets. She said that they were taught to love, honor, and entertain the poor, but she looked back and she realized that their giving was with condescension condescension and superiority they were giving from I'm up here and you're down here and so I can help you a little and she realized apparently later in life that maybe they didn't have the right motives in their giving so you see her family was assisting the poor they were giving them something to sustain their situation, try to sustain their lives, but they really were doing nothing to lift them up. 
they were they were happy with with the gap between their family and the poor families. They wanted to keep it that way. They wanted to be on top. They were not giving out of a heart of love and compassion. Do we give out of a true heart of godly love? Or do we sometimes maybe give with an air of superiority? With an attitude that we're better better off or even maybe better people than those we're giving to help. Think of all the needs in the world today that we have opportunities to give, to assist with. Are we giving sacrificially out of a heart of love or are we pretty smug that I'm I'm in a pretty blessed situation, and I'm glad I can give them a few dollars. Paul used Jesus' example of giving as a demonstration of the attitude that we should have towards giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus had it all. Jesus lived in heaven where all is perfect. But yet, he gave it all up so that he could come to earth to live here, and not just that, so he could die, give his own life, so that he could lift us up so that he could give us riches. It says here, Paul says that he became poor so that ye through his poverty might be rich. Through what he gave up, he gave us true spiritual riches. Not just simply to sustain us in our state of spiritual poverty. And as followers of Christ, we need to be emulating his example of giving. Giving out of a heart of sacrificial love. Expecting and seeking no accolades from man, but only the blessing of God who sees what we do in secret. And you know that blessing of God may not be a material blessing. And it might not be a blessing that we experience in this life, or not completely. But we have a promise that as we give, as we do these things with the right motives, that God will bless. And like I said, it might not be materially, but it maybe it will draw us into a closer relationship with him. Another aspect of giving, and I guess I've already touched on this, but is is how sacrificially we give. Christ sacrificed everything. And I ask, what is my giving costing me? It 
If my giving has no impact on my lifestyle, is it true giving in the spirit of Christ? And I have to ask, myself included, is the question is, if the programs of Christ's church are lacking funds, but my fun is not lacking funds, it seems that there's a, a serious chasm between my giving and the giving that, that Christ is talking about that brings true blessing. If I claim to be a part of Christ's church, but I'm unwilling to sacrifice personally in order to further its purposes, in essence, I am robbing the church to fund my own personal life, my own personal agenda. Because when we surrender to Christ, we say we're giving it all to him. And so if I'm giving it all to him, then shouldn't that affect my giving? And so maybe we're not sometimes so far removed from these people that Christ called hypocrites who were giving to be seen of men, giving out of their abundance just to gain status from the people around them. Looking at prayer, I ask, are we following Jesus' teaching and spending time in prayer, as he says here in our private closet? There's many blessings to be had by spending time alone with God in prayer. When we're alone with God in prayer, we have no peer pressure, so to speak. There's no one that we have to worry about what they're hearing. It's us and God. And you know, it's in prayer that we find strength to go forth and victory in our Christian life. I'd like you to think about, and we're not going to look at these, but think about some of the times in the Gospels where we see Jesus spending time in prayer. We're told how that Jesus, those times when he rose up early and went out by himself to pray. There was other times when he was out all night in prayer. And often, maybe every time, I didn't go research to see, but after these times of prayer, we see that there was some miraculous event or some great victory won in Christ's life. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness before he faced the temptation of Satan. And it came out victorious. Jesus was praying alone on the mountain the night that he later went out on the stormy Sea of Galilee 
walking on the water to his disciples. We talk about him walking on the water, but we, we don't talk about the hours spent in prayer leading up to that. Jesus was praying on the mountain prior to the transfiguration. Jesus prayed fervently in the garden before his arrest. And Jesus came through victorious. He was captured and he was crucified, but yet he was victorious because he carried out the Father's will. And his prayer in the garden was, not my will, but thine be done. In all of these instances, prayer preceded victory. And I think that there's a lesson in that for us. Jesus is promising the blessing of the Father if we spend time in prayer in secret. And that blessing is going to be far different than those he talked about who were praying to be seen of men. It's a blessing of spiritual victory, not to impress people and elevate ourselves in man's eyes, but the blessing of spiritual victory to live faithfully for Christ. He also speaks here of using vain repetition as the heathen do. And this is referring, I believe, to just simply uh, praying again and again and again and again and again and again the same words. Trying to gain God's favor, gain God's listening ear through many words. This is not the same as bringing the same request to God numerous times. In the parable of the widow and the unjust judge, Jesus clearly teaches that we are to be persistent in our prayers to God. To continue bringing our requests. An example of that is that it has been said of George Mueller that he prayed for the salvation of five men for approximately 50 years. And shortly before his death, three of them were converted. Shortly after his death, the other two were converted. That's persistence in prayer, not vain repetition. That's what God wants for his people. God wants persistence. Not that we try to gain his attention, but simply repeating the same thing over and over. We have the promise here in verse 8 that our Heavenly Father knows our needs before we even ask. And so God knows, and God knows what is best for us. He just wants us to be persistent in asking because, you know, God's timing and our timing often aren't the same. In this story of George Mueller and his friends, God answered his prayer. I'm sure that George Mueller's timing was different than what God's timing was but yet his prayers were answered. So we need to be persistent that God will answer in time. 
And so we need to have our prayers in private. We need to do them for what it does for our relationship with God. On the practice of fasting, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone do something in my lifetime to show that they were fasting to try to show off or anything like that. But whether it's fasting or prayer or whatever it might be, we can face the temptation to try to show, show off our piety in some way. And you know, when we do that, we begin to focus on our religion rather than on God. When the goal of our life becomes meeting the requirements of the church or the expectations of our community, we'll tend to start to want others to know what we're doing in order to look good to those people. But we need to remember that our goal, no matter if it's giving or if it's prayer or if it's fasting or whatever it is, our goal always should be to please our Heavenly Father who sees in secret and to seek his reward, whether it's a reward in this life or in the life to come, whether it's a reward that's something visible to others or whether it's something that's a reward in my life only. So the thrust of these three teachings is that there's two kinds of approval we can seek. We can seek man's approval and we can seek God's approval. One has a certain level of blessing in this life, the blessing of being honored and respected by man. The other has the blessing of the all-knowing Father who sees what is done in secret and will reward in this life and in the next. His reward may not elevate us in the eyes of our fellow man, but it will lead us in triumphant victory in our spiritual lives. So which approval do you want? The choice is ours to make, and the results are ours to accept. God bless you.